Welcome to the 12th episode of It Wasn't Me, a true crime podcast where we talk about murders that intrigue us. I am Cindy. And I'm Mercedes. In this week's episode, we discuss the death of Joseph Andriano. Was it murder or was it suicide? Thank you for listening to last week's episode where we examined a group of honor roll students whose robbery plot turned deadly. Our podcast is not recommended for children. Fair warning, this can be extremely horrifying and graphic, and we will use offensive language. So if you have kids, put them away for a while and join us for a murder. Also, be forewarned, we are passionate and always have been about true crime, but sometimes we will make jokes and we will laugh during this podcast. For more information and links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform, and please give us a five-star rating. While you are there, leave a comment telling us which murder intrigues you. And if you like our show, please consider supporting us through patreon.com forward slash it wasn't me pod. We appreciate our Patreon supporters so much. Mercedes, how you doing? I'm good, Cindy. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank yeah. you very much. So, um, our listeners are listening to this on like January 4th, I think, when this will be released. But we're actually recording on Sunday, December 29th. We're still in 2019. We are still in 2019. Yeah, and we're on location. So, yes, we're we are in Gainesville, Florida today. Yeah, and you want to tell them why? <laughs> I don't know if you've checked out our website or not, but there are some photos of us, and I actually wear a medical mask. And the reason for that is because I had skin cancer and went through some treatment this summer, and now I'm in Gainesville to uh, get my new nose. Right. Yay. Because I had to take your old one off, right? Yeah, they yes. had to take my old one off, Kids. and, and yeah. I get a new one. So check out our face, um, our uh, website. We'll have new pictures up. We've actually gone by... What they call the graffiti wall. Um, do you want to explain the graffiti wall? Yes, here in Gainesville, uh, graffiti is actually illegal, like in a lot of cities, except for this one wall. And it has been dedicated to a bunch of different things and tributes, rest in peace. But in 1990, many of you may remember or know about Danny Rawlings, who murdered a total of seven people five here in Gainesville two in Louisiana and so there's a portion of the wall dedicated to the five um, UF college students that he murdered yes and we're planning to do a Patreon show on Danny Rollins so um, look out for that and sign up be a patron we need a patron we need as many patrons as we can get (laughs) so help some girls out yes and we're also going to uh, have a blog up which can be viewed from our website as well. And we'll go over some more details about us and, you know, my my cancer journey and then the photos of the wall and those sort of things. Awesome. So uh, what murder are we going to talk about this week? Well, this week we're going to talk about the murder of Joseph Andriano. Am I saying that right? Um, Andriano or Andriano. I don't, I, I'm thinking it's Andriano, but, you know, people butcher my last name all the time. So as to mine as well and it's only six letters all right so wendy and joseph adriano adriano were married in january of 1994 and unfortunately joe became ill within just a few years of his marriage to wendy Uh, by 2000 the couple had two small daughters and the terminal diagnosis of adenoid cystic carcinoma which had been misdiagnosed originally in 1998 
After attempting holistic therapies for his illness, he then resorted finally to chemotherapy. But by this time, the cancer had spread to his lungs and he was deemed terminal. Okay, so carcinoma, that's like serious cancer. Like carcinoma to me means deadly. No, not necessarily because my cancer was a carcinoma. Your cancer was a carcinoma. Yes. Okay. I had okay. basal cell carcinoma. Okay. Okay. I wasn't going, it wasn't terminal, but I mean, you know. But carcinoma does not just mean the death sentence right away. No. Okay. No. All right. So by the time Wendy, by this time, Wendy was going very resentful because of her added responsibilities. Due to his terminal diagnosis, he was unable to work. Wendy was caring for the house, the children, and Joe, all while managing an apartment complex as well. So that was her job, was to manage the apartment complex that they actually, that they lived in. Um, So as a result of this, Wendy began frequenting bars and had even had at least two affairs and even started attempting to obtain life insurance policies for her husband. Obviously, when you get life insurance, you just don't you know, get it. There are pre-screening interviews and processes and sometimes medical um, appointments and that sort of thing. So she even asked some friends to pose as her husband during these pre-screening interviews. Okay, so she's going to bars and having an affair, having affairs with other people while he's home taking care of the children and he's sick. I don't even know if he was really, how much he could take care of the children. And they were very young. I didn't find anywhere where it gave the children's age, but they were young girls. So this might be after she put them to bed and then she went out for the okay. night. Okay, okay. Uh, during August and September of 2000, Wendy attempted to obtain these life insurance policies from several different companies. During the pre-screening process, she would claim that Joe did not have cancer. One agent even contacted Joe after receiving an application, and he declined, stating that he was not interested in having any life insurance. So I'm wondering, did he even care what happened to his wife and children after they died? I mean, did not, he... not, to me, it doesn't, he didn't care about having life insurance. Did he, did, I mean, did they know that he was terminal? Like, did they yes. know that? Okay. Uh, yes. So, Wendy sent an email three days later asking for his request to be reinstated and that all communication be made directly to her. She also asked two different men to pose as her husband during a physical exam. Oh. Both of those men were like, yeah, I don't think so. So she offered to pay $150,000, but both declined. No insurance policy was ever purchased for her efforts. During the summer of 2000, Wendy had a brief extramarital affair with a, a gentleman named Rick a resident of the apartment complex where they, she lived and worked as a property manager. The affair ended in July when Rick learned that Adriano was married and had children. So he didn't know that she was married, that her husband was sick, and that she even had kids. Which, if they lived in this, I mean, I don't know, maybe it was a really big apartment complex, and he didn't see her coming and going from her apartment and her kids and her husband. Right, well, I mean... I don't really know anything about any of my neighbors. Do you? I mean, I wouldn't know if my neighbors are married or just living in sin. I'm oh, yeah, living I mean, in sin. I don't know. I'm just <laughs> listening. <laughs> Cohabitating. Cohabitating. Well, despite his rejection, rejections of her advances, um, Andrea, Andre, I can't say her name. Andreano is how I would say it. I'm just going to call her Wendy. Okay. All right. So Wendy aggressively pursued Rick. She, she had a... <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say a hard on, no, but no, that's not gonna work, is it? 
That's what I was thinking okay. too. So on one occasion, she stood outside his apartment late at night, banging on his door for five minutes, demanding to be let in, and threatened to get the master pass key if he did not let her Whoa. in. Whoa. Yeah. Psycho. So during the same summer, Wendy frequented bars on a weekly basis with coworkers and friends. There she was seen dancing and flirting and even groping and kissing men. Okay, I'm sorry, this is not the behavior of a woman whose husband is terminally ill, but maybe this is the same. Now, how old is she? Well, they were married in 94, and she was 27, and so by no. two... No, yeah, no, 90, she was 24 when they got married. He was 27. Right. Okay, so he was 27, she was 24 when they got married. So about in the year 2000, when... She would have been 30. Yes. Okay. All right, so... So she's out dancing and flirting with men when her husband's home dying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So on September 27th, the evening after Joe's fourth chemotherapy treatment, Wendy went to a dance club and began dancing provocatively with and kissing a man that she met there. They ultimately returned to Wendy and Joe's apartment and had sex. Now, where was Joe? Was he in the apartment? He's still alive September 27th, correct? Yes, Yes, that is correct. However, during a phone conversation the following day, Wendy told the man that her husband was already dead and had died from cancer. So why are we here talking about this family? Well, here's what happened. According to court records, the Andrano, Andrano, and whatever their name Andriano. is. Andriano. <laughs> Andriano. And I'm so sorry. Their family had attended a barbecue on September, nope, October 4th. Nope, October 7th. <laughs> and after arriving home, and they arrived home around midnight. So they put the kids to bed and we're calling it a night. Well, a little after 2 a.m., Wendy called her co-worker who lived in the same complex to ask if if they could come over and watch the girls while Wendy took Joe to the ER. When Chris met Wendy in the front yard of their apartment... And Chris is the co-worker. Yes, Chris is the co-worker, sorry. um, She stated that she had a problem and for them not to ask any questions. Mm, I would have been like... Uh, I got a question. Well, if, you, if if the coworker knows that Joe is dying and has terminal cancer, you know, it might not be a whole lot of, there might not be a whole lot of questions. You know, I need to get him to the ER right now. Just, I don't have right. time for questions. I've got to go. Right. Okay. So, she stated that she had this problem for them not to ask any questions. She also said that her husband was on the floor dying and that she had not called 911 yet. Also... That Joe did not know that she hadn't called 911 yet. So this coworker, Chris, pleaded with Wendy to call 911. Well, why would she? So she asked Chris to come over and watch the girls while she took Joe to the ER. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. So upon upon entering the apartment, Chris found Joe lying on the living room floor in the fetal position. He was very weak, having difficulty breathing, and had vomited as well. Wendy went into another room to call 911, and Joe asked Chris why it was taking 45 minutes for the EMS to arrive. Poor guy. Good guy. He stated that he needed help, and he has needed it for a long time. So Wendy returned to the room and said that the EMS was responding to another call and that she needed to get Joe to her car. When Joe could not stand up, 
Wendy and Wendy couldn't lift him. She became irate and started cursing and yelling. At and this him. is what Chris is testifying or saying happened. Yes. Yes. And did this Chris is- help at all, or is he just standing there? It didn't really sound like he was trying to help okay. too much. But this was all per court documents, court records. Right. So, when Chris heard the approaching sirens, he went outside to meet with the paramedics. It was then that Wendy came outside of the apartment and began screaming at the paramedics for them to leave and retreated back into the apartment, slamming the door. Chris, along with four paramedics, began knocking on the door to no avail. Holy shit. Yeah. Like, she flipped her shit, slammed the door. So, after about 10 minutes of knocking, the Phoenix Fire Department started calling the apartment phone in an attempt to get Wendy to answer the door. The paramedics were then informed that someone made contact with Wendy and that she would come to the door. However, instead of using the front door, Wendy came out the back door, climbed over a patio wall, walked around the entire building to the front door where the paramedics and Chris were standing. So she doesn't want to let them in. Correct. So she had changed clothes and appeared to have taken a shower. She informed the paramedics that Joe had terminal cancer and had a DNR and that the paramedics and Chris should leave without ever going inside the apartment. And a DNR, of course, is a do not resuscitate order. Correct. All right, so they left without ever going inside. Okay, I'm sorry, but there's there's so many questions that I have right now. So first of all, she calls someone over, lets him in the house, and he sees this man in a fetal position on the floor. He goes outside and waits for the cops or the the ambulance. Mm -hmm. When they get there, she locks the door and will not let them in. Yes. So there's some time that elapsed there. And in that time, she took a shower and changed her clothes. She appears to have taken a shower and changed her clothes. That is correct. So he was alive when Chris was in the apartment. Joe was alive. Yes. Okay. So, like I said, instead of using the front door. The paramedics should not have left. But I guess if they have a DNR, they don't have a choice. They don't have to be. They can't. Do they not have to see evidence of a DNR? I mean, I could say, oh, my husband has a DNR, when he might not. But maybe, because Chris knew, yes, he has terminal cancer. So there was someone there who knew that. Just It seems really shady to oh, me yeah. that there's a 911 call and they don't demand to go in and, and talk to the to the victim or the, the sick person. Well, I mean, that's like if you get in a car wreck, you can, they can't take you without, I mean, unless you're unconscious, but if you're awake... Yeah, if you're awake, but if if someone else said, oh, well, she's not going, I mean, that's not your choice to make without someone saying, Cindy, do you agree with that? Okay. Yeah. Just something doesn't seem right there. Now, where is this taking place again? Because I don't remember. Phoenix, Arizona. Phoenix, Arizona. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. So they left. Well, around 3.30 a.m., Wendy called 911 again, and the same paramedics arrived. To see Wendy standing on the front lawn in a bloody shirt speaking to the police to a police officer. The paramedics entered the apartment to find Joe lying on the floor in a pool of blood. He had a stab wound to the neck and lacerations on his head that was so severe that brain matter was exposed. Oh my god. Police officer observed. So wait a minute. Stabbing someone in the head so their brain is exposed? Well, he had a stab wound in the neck and then lacerations on his head lacerations on your head so that brain matter was exposed. Yeah, so he got his head beat in. 
laceration okay i'm thinking stab wounds i my brain is not functioning today i'm sorry go ahead so a police officer observed at 3 52 a.m that the blood around joe's head was already starting to drop Ooh. yeah if she called 911 right away the blood wouldn't be drying already well i'm not a forensic scientist but you would think that it would 20 minutes I mean, okay. not a pool of blood. I wouldn't think it was already. But, I mean, like you said, we're not forensic scientists. I have no idea. I'm just, I'm. Just, it was brought up, so I'm assuming it was brought up for a reason. Right. So, a broken bar stool covered in blood was found near Joe's body, as were pieces of lamp, a kitchen knife with blood on it, on the sharp edge, a bloody pillow, and a belt. Whoa. Yeah. Something serious had went on here. All right. So, after a search of the Adriano's... Storage unit revealed an open cardboard shipping box containing five, a 500 gram bottle of sodium azide. Azide? Azide. It's really, it's a pesticide, which uh, essentially it's like um, cyanide or arsenic, cyanide type. I looked it up. It's, it's a pesticide. Okay. So two Tupperware containers containing this sodium azide. I'm so that's probably not how you say it. Azide is how I would say it, A-side. but I don't know. Azide. I might that's be wrong. It. Nine Q-tips, a plastic knife and fork, two pairs of latex gloves. So Wendy's fingerprints were found on a few of these items, such as the plastic knife and the vacuum-packed bag in which the cardboard box was shipped. So I tried to picture this in my mind. So I'm assuming that whatever was in the box is hazardous. So it's actually inside of an air vacuum sealed package and then probably put in something. Nine Q-tips. Yeah, why nine Q-tips? So also during the search of the apartment, the police found gelatin capsules filled with this sodium azide. Is that how you're saying it? That's how I say it. I don't know if it's right or not. In a bottle labeled for an herbal supplement. Okay. That's not suspicious at all? Well, those, yeah, no kidding. Those, I actually went to the vitamin shop or someplace like that, one of those, and you can buy those capsules mm-hmm. and fill them with your own whatever. Yeah. I know people who so, put like CBD oil in it or a different kind of like, um, or essential oils, and then they put them in the, the gelatin or vegetable caps so that they don't have to taste it. Or right. Just, mm-hmm. So he's maybe taking this thinking, oh yeah, this is an herbal supplement. Yes. Because if you have cancer, you want to try anything to make yourself better. Yes. So trace amounts of the sodium azide was also found in a pot of soup and several bowls in the kitchen. Several really being like two or three. In in all, 20.8 grams of this poisonous substance could not be accounted for. So she is, I'm guessing she's poisoning her husband. Yes. And the thing to me that's odd about this is, you know, that sometimes takes a while. Mm -hmm. He's dying. Yes. He's terminally ill. She just wants to rush the process. Yes. Yes. There's going to be more that comes of that here in a minute. So the medical examiner determined that Joe sustained a brain hemorrhaging. 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 Thank you. Due to no fewer than 23 blows to the head. 8 to 10, which could have rendered him unconscious. Defensive wounds to his hands and wrists indicate that he was awake for at least part of the attack. Oh, my. That that poor man. Oh, no. The woman that you 
married, you have babies with, who is supposed to be taking care of you, taking care of you and loving you, just beat you in the head with a bar stool. And for sure it was her. I mean, she had the bloody shirt. Yes. Yeah, it was her. Okay. So Joe sustained. I mean, wait a second. 23 blows of the head. That had to be some. She had some anger issues. Yeah. Yes. So Joe also sustained a three and three fourths inch long by two inch wide stab wound to the left side of his neck that extended to the spine, severing his carotid artery. Jesus. Yeah. So, I mean, if the bashing of the head didn't do it. Well, that would definitely do it. Yeah. So the medical examiner determined that Joe received the blows to the head prior to the stabbing and was alive when he was stabbed. But that most likely, um, he was not conscious at the time. I mean, hopefully he wasn't. All right. So, again, trace amounts of the uh, this poisonous substance was found in his um, blood and gastric contents. Cause of death was blood, point, blood blunt force trauma and the stabbing wound, the stab wound. Okay. All right. So, there's more of that. There's more evidence. So, based on the blood splatter... And other evidence, it was concluded that Joe was lying down when he was attacked and was unable to get up. So he was just, had to take it. Like, he couldn't really, he just hold up his hands like, please don't. And he was probably so weak anyway. Well, especially if he had all that poison in his body. So And not to mention the chemo, which is another type of poison altogether. So detectives um, further testified that based on the absence of the arterial spurting, on the belt and the knife that both items were placed beside Joe's body after he died. Because it would have been like, I guess there was like a void. So uh-huh. it would have, I guess it just. Does that matter to the trial? Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I guess it's just more evidence sitting down next to him because like those items. Were right. There. They okay. Have on them if they were sitting there next to him. Right. Okay. All right. So, um, blood spatter on the bar stool. On the other hand, suggests that the barstool was present when the arterial spurting began. So the barstool was sitting right there when he was stabbed, and then blood got all over it. Mm. Yeah. So, as if there wasn't enough evidence against her, she was taken into custody. So she called one of her coworkers and asked them to hide certain items that were left at her place of work, like her office. I didn't go into detail about what these items were, but. So according, uh, wait, wait, but did her coworker hide the stuff? It actually didn't say what all the information that I read. It just gave that information, but it didn't say that they hot, they hid anything. It doesn't sound like they, any of her coworkers, coworkers at this point, they were all kind of, they were honest with the crazy bitch. Okay. Okay. (coughs) Excuse me. So Wendy was indicted on one count of first degree murder. They state filed a notice to intent to seek the death penalty and subsequently alleged that there were two aggravating factors. Wendy committed the offense in the expectation of receipt of anything in pecuniary value. So she was expecting to get money from his death. Right. But she was never able to get those life insurance policies, but there's something else. And she committed murder in an especially heinous, cruel, and depraved manner. The state also further alleged the offense was a dangerous felony, meaning that it involved the intentional or knowing infliction of serious physical pain upon Joseph Adriano. Aww. Oh, it's very sad. At trial, Wendy would testify, and she would claim a whole plethora of things, including that it was a failed suicide attempt, and that when 
that didn't work out. Everything went to shit. So Joe apparently was asking her why he was missing a condom. All right. <laughs> and that pursuit that turned into a knockdown drag out fight between them. So according this, to her testimony. According to her testimony. So let's say I have seven condoms, Wendy, why is one missing and now I only have six condoms? Well, Joe, I'm sorry to tell you, but I've been having an affair. Well, he lost his shit and tried to allegedly tried to choke her with a telephone cord. And she was able to get a knife, cut the telephone cord, and she also states that he grabbed the knife and was coming at her and then So she's claiming domestic abuse. Yes. Yes. She's saying that she was a battered wife and that he had been abusive. So wait, first she says it's a suicide attempt yes. gone wrong. Correct. Then now it's domestic violence. Correct. And she was able to cut the telephone cord that he was trying to choke her with and then the knife got knocked out of her hand and he grabbed the knife and then she beat him in the head with the bar stool and he stabbed himself in the throat. Okay. And that's slit his own throat. All right. So it all boils down to, she says, this is self-defense. All right. Um, she continues to testify that Joe stabbed himself in the neck and slit his own throat. However, Wendy's hairdresser, because you know, tell her hairdresser's everything. I mean, I don't, but I guess some people do. Um, I know someone whose mother actually hired their hairdresser to murder their ex-husband. What? <laughs> yes, yes. That's a story for another day. Maybe that's a good Patreon story. Oh, that might be a good Patreon, yes. So Wendy's hairdresser would testify that Wendy had said she would not leave her husband due to his illness, but wanted him dead so that she could pursue another relationship with someone else. Um, another piece of information is that she also claimed that because she was a battered wife and she wasn't attracted to her abusive husband anymore, that when they would have sex, that she would have to use a lubricant. And I guess that was proof that I'm not attracted to him, so... That I didn't want to have sex. So he was abusing me. He was kind of like taking it, right? Yes. I, I, okay. Yes. But come to find out, her boyfriend Rick that she had on the side, she had to use personal lubricant with him as well. So, so he... He testified that she had her own personal lubricant. Yes. She's just a dried up old hag. She sure is. <laughs> okay. So while at trial, the, the judge had to give a clarity on what cruelty actually meant. So he had to give the jury instruction. All right. And this is what he said. Cruelty involves the infliction of physical pain and or mental anguish on a victim before death. A crime is committed on an especially cruel manner when a defendant either knew or should have known that the manner in which the crime is being committed could cause the victim to experience physical pain or mental anguish before their death. The victim must be conscience, conscious, yeah, conscious, yeah, thank you, for at least some portion of the time when the pain and or anguish was inflicted. Okay, so the judge gives the the jury this definition and says, in order for this to be death penalty, Correct. Sorry. it has to be um, cruel, heinous, heinous. And so just looking at this, looking at it through the eyes of the Emmy, the medical examiner, he said that Joe was conscious for some portion of it. Yes. Uh, when he was being beaten in the head 23 times with a bar stool. Cool. When, even when part of his 
throat was being slashed, yes, correct? Yes, he was definitely alive when his throat was slashed, but that it was unlikely he was awake. But they said he was probably oh. beaten in the head eight to ten times. So, but he was conscious during part of that. Yes. They said he was probably awake eight to ten after eight to ten beating. And I can see, okay, then experience physical pain. Yeah, that freaking hurts. Yeah. Um, but also mental anguish. I mean, this is my wife. I'm dying. I'm sick. I know that I'm a burden on her. Yes. And right. she's using my condoms with some other man. I know, right? Gross. <laughs> All right. Well, so on November 18th, 2004, Wendy Elizabeth Ochoa Andriano was found guilty of first degree murder. Due to the heinous cruelty and depravity of the crime, and because the crime was financially motivated, she was sentenced to death by lethal injection on December 22nd, 2004. So she was sentenced to death, but she yes. was not. Yeah. Yeah. She sits on death row. Yes, right. of course. And of course, when you're on death row, you get you get a, an appeal, right? Yeah. I mean, like, it's mm-hmm. automatic. You, right. There's an automatic appeal. They okay. go back and they want to automatically look at it. So, Wendy filed for post-convention, convention, post-conviction appeal in 2007, claiming that the evidence of her affairs and the efforts to buy life insurance policies for her ailing husband unfairly prejudiced her in front of the jury. She also claimed that the jurors were not allowed to consider lesser charges such as second-degree murder or manslaughter, um, claiming that the judge wouldn't have given the cruelty explanation. Um, if he wouldn't have given the cruelty explanation, then maybe the de- then maybe they would have been deadlocked. But that's what the prosecutor was going for, was the death penalty. Correct. So he had to give them that definition of yes. cruelty. So, But ultimately, in July of 2007, the Arizona Supreme Court upheld her death sentence. Oh, yes. Yes. So as of 2011, she is one of three women on death row and is currently residing at the Lumley Unit in Arizona State Prison Now, Complex. you said as of 2011. What about as of December 29, 2019? Is she still alive? Yes, she is. She oh. is still on death row. Um, there are some other things that she um, was complaining about, I guess you could say, with whore. With, with whore. She was a whore, all right? <laughs> she, she was a whore. <laughs> uh, with her trial. So um, in one of her appeals, she argues that the trial court coerced the death, sent the death verdict in two days when it gave the impasse instruction. So the impasse instruction was, one, by giving instruction before ascertaining whether the jury was truly deadlocked, Two, by improperly instructing the jury about its duty to deliberate. Because remember I said that they they asked a question and they might have possibly... What they did is they asked about being, you know, what happens if we can't come to... Right. You know, it wasn't that they were deadlocked. They but were that was on the second day of deliberations. And this yes. is a death penalty case, so... You know, and there are some interviews with some jury members that say, you know, this, you know, one person's ninety-something-year-old grandmother passed away, and she wasn't able to go see her. You know, another guy was in between jobs, and you know, so this was kind of a, we have lives, so what the hell happens if we can't come to it? Right, we don't really have time for this, and you know, like I had jury duty, and it it was an attempted murder case. It wasn't a murder case. Um, Interesting, but. You know, I always, you always have that in your mind. Am I making the right choice? You know, is, is this guy really a murderer? Is he really not a murderer? You know, you always have that in your head. Like, 
this could ruin someone's life. Uh-huh. This could kill someone. So right. it is it is something you wouldn't want to avoid, I would think. And I wouldn't want to be death penalty jury. I don't know about that. I know but. you would. <laughs> <laughs> but there's also other things to consider. You know, I mean, what we do in our Monday through Friday jobs. Right. You know, we don't get paid a lot anyway. So we don't get paid. I mean, I don't know. We might get Yeah, we do. Actually, we get paid. If we have jury duty. Right. We just have to pre... But not everybody does. Right. My husband had jury duty, you know, almost 20 years ago before, I don't know, before we had, you know, careers, I would say. And he had to take time off from his hourly job to go make less money. Right. It was like eight bucks Because they hour. only have to pay you minimum wage. Yeah. Or something like and that. And I think my husband was waiting tables at that time. But they only so have to do that after a certain length of time, too. You don't get paid, like, the first or second day. I think it's after so much time. I think he got a check for, like, 16 bucks. Yeah. Woohoo! <laughs> right? Right? Hey. <laughs> hey. That's a good bottle of vino, or at least a... <laughs> okay. All right. That's a, that's a CVS bottle of wine right there. Yeah. So, so and also, what she was also complaining about, it says, into... You know, if he wouldn't have given them some explanation, then maybe they would have been deadlocked. But it was really here and there because near the end of the second day of the penalty phase of the deliberations, the jury submitted the following question. Okay, so at the second day, if we're unable to reach a unanimous verdict, what is the procedure that will be followed? I can... I can speak. The court... Okay, get ready for this. This is long-winded. The court instructed the jury as follow, follows. It appears from your note that you are at a deadlock in your deliberations. I have some just suggestions to help your deliberations, not to force you to reach a verdict. I am merely trying to be responsive to your apparent need for help. I do not wish or intend to force a verdict. Each juror has a duty to consult with one another, to deliberate with the view of reaching an agreement. It can be done without violence to individual judgment. No juror should surrender his or her honest conviction as to the weight or effect of the eviction solely because of the opinion of the other jurors or the purpose of reaching a verdict. However, you may want to identify some areas of agreement and disagreement and discuss, discuss the law and the evidence as they relate to the areas of the disagreement. If you still disagree, you may wish to tell the attorneys and me which issues, questions, law, or facts you would like us to assist you with. If you decide to the follow, if you decide to follow the suggestion, please write down the issues, questions, laws, or facts, and which on which we can possibly help. Please give your note to the bailiff. We will then discuss your note and try to help. The jury asked no further questions and returned a death verdict in two days. So they didn't really have any questions. They just didn't want to deliberate about it, right? Yeah, they just were like, "Well, what if? How long am I going to have to be here? What am I going to do? How am I going to pay my bills? I got a baby at home. Yada yada yada." Right. So. So anyway, the Supreme Court upheld the decisions of of the trial court mm-hmm. and the bitch is waiting for her death date. Yes. So inmate number 191593 is rotting in Arizona State Prison Complex in Perryville. Is there any date whatsoever for her um her death? No. Okay. Nope. And that's the story of a dried up old hag. Thanks, Cindy. So, thank you, listeners, for giving our um, It Wasn't Me another chance. We appreciate you. We also would appreciate if you would support us by subscribing to our podcast. And while you're there, giving us a five-star rating. You know, we're awesome. We deserve it. 
Um, Leave us a comment if you have any suggestions for something you would like us to research and to report on. um, Drop us a line there. If you will, please, um, please leave us a comment because it is essential to our success and it helps push us up the charts. Please take a moment um, on your uh, to do so on your favorite platform. For more information and links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, visit our website at it wasn't me truecrime.com. We are so grateful to spend our time together to share our murderous stories. Thank you so much for listening and supporting us. We would like to thank our Patreon supporters as well. They are the extra. You too can become one of our beloved patrons by signing up at patreon.com forward slash it wasn't me pod. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a five-star rating. And thanks again, guys. And remember, it it wasn't wasn't me. me.